Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, good morning, Venture. I want to welcome those on our campus today. Welcome those who are watching us online today. And uh, I think maybe starting today, is fall finally here? Are we finally getting some uh, weather, at least uh, Bay Area weather that reflects fall? And uh, with the fall comes all the different ministries. You heard about it, all the things that are launching. Hope that you're getting involved. Hope you're getting in a life group. Hope that you're getting in a Bible study, some way that you can connect with that. And I really wanna encourage, uh, one of the things that we ask everybody in our church, whether you're brand new here or you've been here for a long time, we, we love to get outside of our walls. We love to go serve our city. We believe that God has called us missionally here as a church to go make an impact, to point people to Jesus in every way possible. And uh, we've got one of those days coming up. Uh, there's a few times a year where we ask everybody to be involved. And uh, on the 24th, the Dia de Unidad, the day of unity, that's one of those days. Uh, you may not have been a part of this in the past. I, I went last year, I was blown away by it. We do it in partnership with Healing Grove and uh, set up in a park and, and you go into this park and last year I think it was like six, 800 people came. And, and there's all different tents. There's some for food, there's some for prayer, there's some for haircuts and any needs that people have. It's just tangible ways to help people in our community and, and it's a big deal. I mean, it's a big enough deal that the mayor came, the police chief came, uh, the city council came. They're coming back this year because they want to come be a part of it. They recognize the big deal. Here's my favorite part. All of the volunteers that pulled the whole event off, venture people. Yeah, we, we did healing grove and then venture people. So you're walking around and every tent you come to, it's like you see a venture person, venture person. Now, when you show up there, there's no like, oh, this is ventures day. We're just there to serve the community. But it's just this tangible way to reach out, to serve, to love people so that some of them that are far from God would turn toward Jesus. And so this is one of those all skates. Remember when you were a kid, all skate, everybody on the floor is an all skate. All skate, the 24th, you need to go online, you need to sign up. I promise you, you don't have to serve the whole day. You can serve a shift during that day. You will end that day more blessed than you began it. This is one of those times that you'll go, man, I am so thankful that I was a part of that. So make sure that you go online and sign up for it. I'm really excited as we move forward toward it. I'm excited about today. I'm going to warn you a little bit. We're in a, a section of Romans that's pretty challenging. In fact, this will be the shortest passage we've covered in this series. In this series, we've been covering, I mean, last time we were in Romans, Romans 11, we covered a lot of verses. Few verses, not that hard to understand, very challenging. In fact, uh, I think they're so important. I, I just printed out the verses in your notes. You might wanna take notes because we're gonna go through the words of this. I think really drill down in it. And if I were to just ask at the beginning, right at the beginning here, if you were to summarize in one word what God wants from you right now in your life, what would it be? You don't have to say it out loud. I want you to think about it. Summarize one word. What, what does God want from you? Now, if you're here, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're not a follower of Christ. You go, yeah, I really haven't taken that step yet. And if you are, I'm so thankful that you're here. 
Uh, you, you just need to realize we always consider it a privilege. Somebody on their faith journey would come and join us and be a part of it. So you're always welcome here. And so if you're here and you haven't taken that faith step, I can promise you, I know exactly what God wants of you. He wants you to receive, receive this good news, receive this gift, receive everything that Paul's been covering for 11 chapters. Remember I told you the whole theme of this book is the gospel, the good news. This good news that even though we're far from God, even though our sin has separated us from God, God loved us so much that from eternity past, he's been thinking about a plan where he would send his son, who's the perfect sacrifice, who's the only one who could sacrifice for us so that we could be right with God. And, and we saw it in Romans 10, he says, so if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that he is savior and Lord, that he died on the cross for you, that he is your Lord, then you will be saved. So I can promise you, I, I just unequivocally, I can tell you right now, if you're not a follower of Christ, the one thing God wants from you more than anything else is for you to receive that good news, to receive that gift. But if you're here as a follower of Christ, you go, yeah, I'm a Christian. What is it that you would say the one thing that God wants from me at this point, based on everything that Christ did, and we saw it in 11 chapters, what do you think God wants from you? And we might say faithfulness. Some would say obedience. Maybe it's more belief. You know, if I were gonna summarize it in one word, here's the word I think. Here's the one thing I think God wants more than anything else. Worship. Worship. And some of you are like, oh, whew, already did it. We just sang three songs, I'm good. <laughs> Got that knocked out for the week. Uh, it's a little more radical than that. Amen. It's a little broader than that. And certainly our expression of what we do here when we gather in this room and, and we gather for worship and many of us as we gather and we sang and some gather and kind of listen to everybody else sing. But you know, we, we're here to worship. But when I use this word, it's a pretty radical call that the apostle Paul is making. In fact, let's look in our passage. Romans 12, one. And again, this is coming after 11 chapters of doctrine, 11 chapters where he's laying out this gospel. And as I told you, I think it's the clearest, most in-depth presentation of the gospel ever in history. Paul's laid it out for us and now he turns it. And this is a big turning point for the rest of the book. Uh, we, we had the orthodoxy, now it's the orthopraxy. We have the principles, now it's the practice on this. And he says, I appeal to you. This word actually is urge. Picture a coach. I mean, today is kickoff day. I shouldn't be reminding you right now. I think the Niners just kicked off. Some of you are like, I forgot to set the DVR. Some of you are like, I hate football and I wish they'd stop talking about it. But either way, picture a coach who's there and it's especially the start of the season and he's looking at his team and he says, man, I urge you. This is the coach's speech. This is the coach's call. This is the one who I've laid out the gospel for you. Now, what are you going to do with it? I urge you therefore, and that therefore is pointing back to the last 11 chapters. Based on everything I told you, this is what I'm going to urge you to do. This is what God wants you to do. But don't skip this line. 
by the mercies of God. I urge you therefore by the mercies of God. And the reason I say we don't skip this line is everything he's about to call us to do is based on what Christ has already done. And, and what I mean in that is everything he's calling us to is our response because we're already right with God. Remember, he says, I urge you therefore brothers, this is brothers and sisters. So he's writing to Christians at this point. In fact, if you're not a follower of Christ, if you wouldn't say you're a Christian, you can't live out what he's calling you to do. But if you are a Christian, he says, based on that, this is our response because we're right with God, not a requirement to be right with God. These verses are not this requirement that God's looking at you and goes, okay, this is what you've got to do to finally get right with me. If we miss this point, we're gonna miss the gospel. We're gonna miss what he's been teaching us for 11 chapters. That the gospel, the requirements were completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And, and we are a people who have received that by faith. We're not a people, and this is what makes it, and I've said this, but I want you to hear this. This is what makes it so different than any other religion. Every other religion will tell you these requirements, will tell you these things you have to do to be right, the sacrifice you have to make in order to get right with God. And it's all different forms and all different ways and all the things that it calls you to that you hopefully made yourself right with God or with karma or with the universe or whatever system it is, you're trying to do it to get right. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. The gospel is based on the mercy of God of what Christ has done for us. Don't lose that. Don't lose that point. Because if we lose that, we'll turn the rest of this book into all these commands that God's called us to do. And I hope I can keep these commands so I can get right with God. In fact, I, I think a, a lot of people jump into sections like this and, and they, they, they're trying to live out something that they don't have the power to do unless you rest in the power of what Christ has done. It's based on what Christ has done. And so he continues on with it. He says, by the mercies of God, now here's the command, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And he's tying in here the sacrificial system. Remember I told you a couple of weeks ago why it's so important for those of us who are Christians to learn about our history, to read through the Old Testament, to read through those, those scriptures so that we can understand that system, and so he's referring back to that system that for the Jews who would read this, they would go, oh, I know exactly what he's talking about. The old system was based on a sacrifice that you brought to the altar. You took an animal that was holy and acceptable. You, you had to take an unblemished animal. You couldn't take the defect. You couldn't take the worst of your flock or the worst uh, of the, the cattle that you had. You had to take the best. And you placed it there as that sacrifice up on the altar now that sacrifice was in order to be right with God. And so Christ was the final sacrifice, the final sacrifice, he was the lamb of God. But Paul now looks at us and goes, yeah, but God's now looking at you as living sacrifice to place yourself on the altar. Now, one, one line I don't want you to miss, because again, it goes back to the gospel. Sometimes we approach this, okay, I gotta be a living sacrifice, so I gotta get holy and I gotta get acceptable to God and then I'll present myself to God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you can be this living sacrifice because you are holy and acceptable to God. 
And why are you holy and acceptable to God? Because you've been a good girl, because you've been a good boy, because you didn't do the bad stuff, because you really kept your nose clean, you had your devotions five days in a row. No, you're holy and acceptable because Christ has already been the final sacrifice. See, some of you don't think you can live out these verses because you think, ah, I gotta get my act together. When I finally get holy, when I get acceptable, when I, when I finally become a good Christian, then, then I can kind of live out a passage like he's talking about here. And, and, and Paul goes, no, no, no. I can call you to this radical call of sacrifice. I can call you to this radical action because you're already holy before God. You are absolutely acceptable before God. Because when God looks at you, he sees the sacrifice of Christ over you. And Christ has made you holy. And Christ has made you acceptable. This radical grace. That again, if we flip-flop this, I think we lose the power of what he's calling us to. But even more, we lose the power of the gospel that allows us to live this out. Now, when you start embracing it in these terms, we love the concept of grace, but grace has a radical call on our lives. I love the way Tim Keller describes it in his book, The Reason for God. He had a, a woman in his church who'd not grown up with any religion and she, she'd not grown up in it. But then when she came to the church and she understood grace for the first time, she told Keller, she goes, what you're describing is actually scary. And he said, scary, grace? Grace is not scary. And then she said these words. She said, if I was saved by my good works, then there would be a limit to what God could ask of me or put me through. I would be like a taxpayer with rights. I would have done my duty and now I deserve a certain quality of life. But if I'm a sinner saved by grace, then there's nothing he cannot ask of me. Keller goes on and he writes, she understood the dynamic of grace and gratitude. If when you've lost all fear of punishment, you also lose all incentive to live a good unselfish life, then the only incentive you ever had to live a decent life was fear. This woman could see immediately that the wonderful beyond belief teaching of salvation by sheer grace has an edge to it. She knew that if she were a sinner saved by grace, she was, if anything, more subject to the sovereign lordship of God. She knew that if Jesus really had done all this for her, she would not be her own. She would joyfully, gratefully belong to Jesus who provided all of this for her at infinite cost to himself. See, that's what Paul's saying in this. I appeal to you, therefore, based on all that Christ did, based on the mercy of God, the grace of God that we've experienced in our life, now God's making this call on you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. So I come back to that when I said, what's the one thing God wants? He wants your worship, but he doesn't want just a song every so often. He doesn't want just in the morning, you put on some worship music and you're kind of sitting there or you walk outside. Now he wants all those things. Those are all good things. The call here is much more radical though. Here's our response. Our response is we worship him by offering all of yourself to him every day. Where, where you come to him and, and you offer all of yourself. Notice he says, present your bodies. And the reason he points out bodies here, 
Back in the early church, there was a group, the Gnostics, they loved to separate, and especially in Greek thought, they loved to separate bodies and spirit. And spirit was good, you offer your spirit, but your bodies kind of don't really matter. So you kind of do what you want to do with your bodies. And Paul goes, ah, it doesn't work that way in God's system. When, when you're this living sacrifice, when he, when he uses body here, he actually wants all of you. Remember, it's based on the sacrificial system. Could, could you imagine a little lamb that was scheduled for sacrifice? And the, and the lamb says, you know, I, I'm gonna give you my heart, but not my body, which we often do kind of, we, we love singing songs. God, I give you my heart. We give this sentimental feeling and God's looking and goes, yeah, okay, how about all of it? In the same way, the lamb, you go, well, uh, no, you're actually scheduled all of you up on the altar. And, and Paul's looking at us and he goes, yeah, here's this radical call now. Your life is an act of worship, every part of it. Your work, your relationships, your finances, your entertainment. Now, again, he's not saying cut out all those things. It's now all of those things, all that I do, all that I'm involved with is now God's. Guys, this is no different than what Jesus said. Remember he said, love the Lord your God with what? Your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He kind of covers the whole spectrum there. There's no part that's left out of that. And, and so this radical call, this radical worship is this, this point of every Christian's life. And the reason I say every day is because you're a living sacrifice. So it's not just this one-time event, oh, I put it on the altar. What, what you'll find is you follow Jesus, he'll bring you back to that altar again and again and again. You'll find yourself in that daily, coming to that place of, man, have I really given this to God? Does he really have this? And, and notice the difference, he says. He's not saying this, I gotta do it as my duty. That's what the woman that talked to Keller, she said, man, if it was just based on my works, I could do enough and then I'm right with God. But if it's based on grace, what can I withhold? I'm not just doing my part. I'm not just giving my little bit. He says, hey, I want everything. I want you and giving you is your greatest act of worship. And so then suddenly your work becomes a place of worship. Not because you're listening to worship songs all day. It's because you're the best employee and you work in a way that Jesus is your boss instead of your boss being your boss. In fact, I think if we treated work like worship, we'd be better employees, not worse. Your relationships become a place of worship. Your home is a place of worship. How you approach everything you do is this act of worship because in all of it, I'm having to learn to let God truly be God and let him be God over this area in my life and actually worship him with this. Guys, this, this is hard, it's radical. But Paul, that word spiritual, actually it's also translated, it's reasonable. Paul looks at it and says, I can't think of a more reasonable response for people that have experienced this from God. And I look over the course of my life and, and you know, different ways that people have made this expression with it. Uh, Bill and Vonette Bright, the, the founders of Crew, 
a great ministry that impacted hundreds of thousands of people around the world. They, in their own life, and they called other people to it, they, they called this the blank check moment, where you take a blank check of your life and you sign it and you give it to God. And he gets all. Chip Ingram, as he teaches through this, this is such a fundamental passage in his life. And if you've sat through his teaching, he, he talks about it, it's the all in moment. It's a, you're at the poker table and you got all your chips and it's not just throwing in a chip or two, not just like, okay, God, you get this part, you get this part of my life. Oh, okay, I'll start giving you that and that. No, it, it's like you and you go, yeah, I'm all in on this. And, and in my life and in my understanding, I think God brings us back to this place over and over again. I, I remember the first time I really understood this kind of radical call was when I was in college. And it was early college at that point. I was a Christian, but I wasn't living like one. And I was drinking pretty hard and I would go to church. I'd give God something every so often, you know, to feel right with God. Cause he, he kept, I kept hearing him and feeling him. And, and as I continued on with it, I was running so hard from God and found myself drinking more. And when God would invade my thoughts, I was frustrated with him. And I kept saying to him, I believe all the right things. I believe, I mean, I was raised in the church. I knew the Bible. I knew all the doctrine. I could tell you everything from Romans 1 through 11. Man, I had it down. But I was holding on to me. And as God kept wrestling with me, I still remember the, the night when I, I got off work at midnight in a little apartment off campus up in Illinois. And, and praying, we had this ratty old chair and I finally just got on my knees and started praying and wrestled with God for a few hours. And throughout the whole time, I was so mad at him because I thought this is not fair. I believe, I believe all the right stuff. Just let me have the rest. And I was scared to death he was gonna make me do something weird like be a pastor. <laughs> Honestly, I was scared to death of that or be a missionary, something weird. I, I just didn't, that was like, I had my life, I had my plan, I had, I had connections, I knew what I was gonna do. More than anything, it was my control over it. And I hadn't been raised, we didn't have a lot of money growing up, so I was determined I was gonna make money and I was gonna be in control and I had this. And God keep, the, the whole time we, I was praying, God kept asking me, are you happy though? Is this working your way? And, and I kept pleading with him, isn't it enough if I just believe? All right, I'll stop doing things. I'll stop drinking. You know, start doing all the, you know, the negotiating you start doing with God. And he was just in this all or none mode. I want it all. And finally, about three in the morning, I said, all right, you get all of it. I don't know what this means, but you get all. And I put in a little prayer right at the very end. I said, but please don't make me be a minister or a missionary. That was, that was my only thing that I was just like. See, I, I, I think we convince ourselves that as long as we believe the right things, that's all God wants. And Paul says, actually, no, he wants you. He wants your life. Now, 
hear me, because some of you are like, oh crud, does God want me to be a minister or a missionary? Probably not. He probably has placed you and gifted you right where he wants you. Maybe he wants some shift in it, I don't know. But he wants you. That you would give all. And, and the reason he does that Does he do that because he's trying to punish us? Does he do that because he's like, oh, I'm God. I'm going to keep my thumb on you. Let let me tell you, God demands all because of his all-consuming love for us. I I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it. C.S. Lewis describes, and this this comes from his last sermon, 1956, the last sermon C.S. Lewis ever preached. And if if you're like me and you love C.S. Lewis, I love his writings and other parts. It's so profound. He describes God like the sea. And he said, we're like little children that we come to the shore and we only want to wade in a a little bit. We want to get wet, but not too wet. And, and, And when he calls us to come out deeper, even when we go out, we keep these lifelines back to the shore, something to hold on to. I can't let go of this. And we're scared to really step out there. Listen how Lewis describes it in these words. I I, I love this line. For God claims all because he is love and he must bless. See, when he's calling you into the ocean, it's because the ocean is love. The ocean is goodness. He cannot bless us unless he has us. And when we try to keep within us an area of our own, we actually try to keep an area of death. Therefore, in love, he claims all. There's no bargaining with him. See, he calls us to that place and, and, and we think, and, and if you're like me, we got those lifelines. I gotta hold on to this, I can't let go of that. I'll go a little deeper with God, but I gotta have that. Elsewhere in the same message, Lewis says, if you turn around and look at your lifeline, it's actually a death line. Because anything that holds you back from going deeper with God is keeping you from experiencing the life abundant that Jesus promised. And so God in his goodness brings us time and again back to the seashore. Brings us to those places where where you have to wrestle this. I mean, a couple of years after I'd made that night, that decision with God, I ended up back in a Christian college. I knew I was supposed to go in ministry. I thought life was on track. In fact, I found myself in Greece on a mission trip. And I was in Greece on a three-week mission trip. And while I was there one night, I'm reading one night and I was reading through Paul's life and I came across Acts 20, 24. And Paul talks about his own life. He said, I do not consider my life as dear to myself on any account in order that I can finish my course. In order that I can do what, what God called me to do, which for him was testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And I remember reading that verse and thinking about Paul's life. And I said, you know, he really did live that. There was one area of his life, there was one lifeline that he was holding back on that he would consider dear to himself. And I remember praying, I was like, God, I want to live like that. 
A couple of days later, we, we were down in Corinth. And if you come to Corinth, you know, if you know anything about Greece, there's the top part of Greece. And then the bottom part is the Peloponnesian Peninsula. Big, it fans back out. And at Corinth, it comes down to a little isthmus, a little neck of land that's just a few hundred yards long. And in ancient days, ships would come there and they, they put some stones there to take smaller crafts and carry them across because it would save so many miles of sailing to not have to go all the way around Greece. And if you go there today, there's actually a canal that's been cut through and you can stand on the bridge. I remember a missionary that was with us, he was telling us about it and the canal that was there. And, and the Greek emperors that started under Caesar, they were determined to try to cut the canal through there. And Nero in particular took 6,000 Jewish slaves, young men, 18, 19 year old, and he put them there. And, and as you're standing on the bridge, you can just see it's layers of bedrock. And he made them dig with spades until they died. That was their life. And they never cut it through, by the way. It went until 1893 with dynamite. They finally got the canal through there. And, and, and remember, I was standing on that bridge and I'm looking at it and I just started thinking about those young men because I was, you know, about that age. And I thought, man, what if that was your life? What if that all you had is you're here and you dig and that's your, that's your life. And in that moment, God started dealing with my heart again. Another one of those all in moments. <laughs> and he just asked me, would you dig? And I remember saying, I, I don't even know what you mean by that, God. Would you dig? Would you dig wherever I place you? Will you do what I call you to? I remember saying to God, okay, we've done this once and I'm uh, uh, preparing to be a pastor, by the way, which I didn't want to do. What more could you possibly want from me? And God said, wherever it is, wherever I place you, big or small, Will you dig? Will you give me your life? Will you place it here? Even if it's like one of these young guys who, who no one knows about, the world has never seen, but their life mattered to me. Will you trust me? And I remember gripping that bridge and going, God, I don't know what this means. <laughs> and he brought back Paul's verse. I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I finished my course. And part of it God was calling me to was a commitment, you be a finisher, no matter what it means, no matter where I take you, you, you give me all of it, be a finisher. And with white knuckles, I prayed a prayer then that he's brought back many times since because he loved me so much he knew there was a part of my life that still was a death line holding on to a shore. And he said, hey, I wanna call you a little deeper into the water so that you can experience my love and how much I love you. See, we, we all have to recognize 
a God who loves us that much. Let me just read Lewis's line again. He says, for he claims all because he is love and must bless. He cannot bless us unless he has us. When we try to keep within us an area of our own, we try to keep an area of death. Therefore in love, he claims all. There's no bargaining with him because he loves us. In, in fact, I'd go so far as to say any area of your life you won't give him is an indicator of an idol. Any of those lifelines that you're holding back on that you go, yeah, I don't wanna give that to, it's probably attached to something else you're worshiping. Something else you're letting be God in your life or fill a space that only God should fill. And so as you, you look at it, maybe it's your money. Man, you, you give God everything, but when it comes to money, there's still a lot of security you find in. So that's, that's your lifeline, which is really your death line. Because you're finding security in something that will never make you secure. Maybe it's relationships. That, that God's calling you to step out by faith and trust him with your relationships or with your dating. Or with somebody in your life and you're scared to death to let it go because that need for that relationship's filling a part of you you gotta have. Maybe it's the thing you worry about the most. What is it that you worry about? And, and almost invariably, I, I can tell you, it's probably attached to a line that goes to something that God says you gotta trust him with. Maybe it's your sex life that you go, am I really gonna trust God and how he describes it and let him have this area of my life and be honest about it? Maybe it's an area of bitterness. There's somebody God wants you to forgive and you can't forgive them. You don't wanna forgive them. Now, hear me. He's not telling you to put yourself back in a place where they can keep hurting you. Scripture never calls for that. But he is calling all of us to release the forgiveness that only Christ has given to us. Maybe release that, that death line of bitterness that you're holding on to. Because it, it can be anything that, that we look at and it's taking the place of God in our life and in reality, we're worshiping it more than worshiping him. It can be our job that you love so much and, and, and you give yourself to and you're passionate about. In fact, you give most of your week to it. And so you're really careful, as busy as you are, man, I wanna make sure I go to church. I've done that. I gave God his part of the week. But the rest of it's mine. And then God has the audacity to bring you to the sea and go, oh, what if you gave me the job too? What if you went deeper here? Maybe it's your kids. Oh, this is a hard one. To actually release them to God. To actually trust him with it. Again, I, I remember in our journey, Lee and I looked up one day, we had four kids and a baby on the way. And my family had an intervention. We had a meeting because my brother's alcoholism had reached the point that his two teenage girls couldn't stay in his house anymore. 
And here we are in Arkansas, and they lived in Florida, and we knew them and loved them, but they'd never been really a part of our home and family. And here, Lee and I are having to wrestle, and we had about a week to determine, God, are you really calling us to do this? On top of all these little kids and a baby on the way to add two teenagers. And we start thinking, what's the impact on our kids? What's the impact on our home? Can we do this? And as we kept wrestling, the, the verse that God kept bringing back was out of James. This is pure and undefiled religion to take care of widows and orphans. And so for us, it's not for everyone. Some people wrestle with this and God doesn't want you to bring a child in your home. So, so hear me, I, I'm not saying this is the only path, but it's the one he led us to. And so suddenly we, we come home and we go from a family with four little kids to a family of six and then another baby a few months later. And it's hard. But I can't fathom life without those girls who ended up becoming daughters. Sisters. They've provided us grandchildren. But when you're at that shore and God's asking for more, you, you don't know and it doesn't always turn out great. But you can always trust it's done out of his love. See, the, the, the world doesn't talk this way. Here, here's what the world's gonna tell you all the time. The world says, man, what he's telling you today, that's too much, that's too radical. You don't wanna be one of those weird Christians. In fact, just do just enough, get involved just enough. Because the world's telling you all the time, you have one life and you better hold on to it. And you better look out for you because nobody else is looking out for you. And you better be open. Be open to other ideas. Be open to, to all these other ways with it. The world is always doing counter-programming to what I'm telling you right now. That's why Paul follows it up. Look what he says in the next verse. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't listen to the counter-programming. This word conform means shape. The world wants to shape you. Wants to mold you. And so what you've got to realize, you've got to consciously reject all the way the world is trying to shape your life. And here's all I mean. When I say world, I'm not saying it's all bad out there. That's, there's a world system in scripture that's, that's anti-God. And Satan is using every avenue. And whether we like to admit it or not, all of these sources coming in are shaping us more than we realize. And so your stream is shaping the way you think. Your services are shaping the way you think. Your phone is shaping the way you think. TikTok's shaping you. The news and all the different things, it's coming in in different ways. And, and all Paul is saying in this moment is don't allow that part to shape everything that you think. Don't, don't allow yourself that that's the message that you're hearing, even if it's the predominant message. You know, back in 2004, when Yurashenko was, was elected as president in Ukraine, it was radical election because the people spoke through the, the polling and through the election. They wanted a freely elected leader in Ukraine. And Yurashenko won, but the government declared in a backroom deal that he was a loser, that he was not going to be in power. And so they went on national television and the news, everybody on the news said, uh, in, in this election, the government has clearly won. The government candidate has won. Yurashenko has lost. What they didn't count on 
was in the corner, there was a translator, a woman who translated for the deaf community. And so even while the predominant message was saying this lie, in the corner, this woman in her bravery, she said, what they're telling you is a lie. Yurashenko has won. And she called all of the deaf community in Ukraine, text your friends, get the word out. He was duly elected. And, and because of that, the deaf community started texting everyone. And there was a, a revolution, they called it the Orange Revolution, where the people marched in the streets and they demanded a free election. Because one woman was willing to speak the truth, despite what the message was out there. And what Paul's saying here is, yeah, you're, you're going to hear this message of the world. You're going you're to hear it coming at you all the time. It's going to tell you this is how life is. This is what will make you happy. This is what you've got to do. And you need to listen to the counter-programming of Jesus Christ who looks at us. And like that woman in the corner, he says, I know they're saying that, but what does it matter if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? Follow me. Trust me. And as C.S. Lewis said, we don't need more lifelines, we need more swimming lessons. We don't need more things holding us back. We need to learn to swim deep with everything. See, to, to do that, you're gonna have to consciously reject and then you're gonna have to follow it up with allow God to completely change you through your renewal of your mind. Allow God every day to speak to you, to speak through his word, to speak through his people that you can be renewed in that. That's why we call you to come be a part of services. If you're a young person, come on a Tuesday night. If you're a college student, come on a Wednesday night. That's why you need to spend time every day in his word. That you allow his voice, his truth, his person to keep calling you back to the seashore and go, yeah, let's dive in together. Yeah, you can let go of that too. You can trust me with that. And guys, I, I found over and over through a lifetime I wish I could say, oh, it's just a one-time event. Man, God keeps calling me back to it. Maybe I'm a slow learner. But the same God called us to live in Bangkok. And the same God called us to plant a church when I wasn't planning on planting a church. Same God has called me a couple of times to California. Amen. <laughs> hey, I'll say this. He's the same God who calls me to stay here. And it's not easy. You, you know how it is. But there's a lot of us who believe we're here because we think God wants to use this gospel to change the Bay Area. Amen. Yeah. But to do that, you got to trust him with all. Not just the part. And so I'd, I'd say to you today, here, here's my final point. In those key moments of life when God asks for more of you, remember it's always so that you can experience more of him. It's always so that you can experience that. It, it's never that he's demanding more because he wants to put power over you. It's never that he's demanding more because he's trying to cut out fun things out of your life. It's never that he's demanding more because he doesn't like you or he doesn't like the world. He doesn't like your job. Guys, God loves all of this planet. He loves every job. He loves every people group. He loves all of it. He's here to claim all of it, but to claim all of it, he needs people that allow him to claim all of them so that we can experience all of his love. 
And even as I say this today, I can't help, but there's probably somebody here that as I'm talking, God's bringing things to your mind that maybe you're holding on to what you would call some lifelines that are actually death lines. I can't think of a better way to culminate a message like this than to remember the sacrifice of Christ, but then also recognize the living sacrifice he's asking of us. And so we're gonna close by taking communion together. We've got these elements here. But I'm gonna ask you to do something before we do so. Would you just take a minute and just bow your heads? Just everybody, bow your head right where you are. Because I want you to just reflect in your own life. As we come to this place where we're gonna remember the sacrifice that only Christ could do of his death, of his resurrection. It's based on that, that God looks at us today and he says, yeah, I want you to be a living sacrifice. And so maybe today, as you think about this, ask yourself, God, is there anything that I'm holding on to? Look in your heart and ask him, is there anything I'm holding on to that I'm not releasing to you? And release it to him now. Cut that lifeline. Dive in the water again. And make the choice to swim deep in his love. Let's remember his sacrifice. If you'll with me, take the elements now. And we get to celebrate the mercies of God that Christ's body was broken for us. Let's take an eat. Let's celebrate together. By the mercy of God, Christ's blood was shed for us. Let's take and drink. Father, we come before you now. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he did what we could not do. He was the final sacrifice. There's no longer any lambs or bulls or goats. No animal is sacrificed today because Christ was willing to lay down his life in that way. Lord, in recognition of that, we, we also feel that call in our lives that you're calling us to be living sacrifices. Would you help us embrace that today? Lord, I pray as you have shown us this morning, maybe any area we're holding on to that we'd release to you, any place where you're calling us to come deep in the water, that we would trust you. Lord, even as we, we sang earlier and we'll sing again now that, that song, we wanna create space for you where you completely consume our lives because you are a God of all consuming love. And so we come to you now and we bring this to you now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.